Aloha, Kavika Miles here. First off, before we get started, I want to give a big old mahalo nui loa for taking time out of your life to listen to book one of my dystopian saga. Secondly, this free audiobook podcast is only made possible by those of you who buy some of my damn merch. It's easy. Just go over to damnitiloveamerica.com and pick yourself up an American tea, a dystopian tea, or hell, even get a copy of the book and read along with me. Regardless, I really do hope you enjoy Saga of the Nine Origins. Mahalo. Saga of the Nine Origins by Kavika Miles Read by the author March 20th, 2036. Micah, where is your toothbrush? Kimberly, I know commitment. Commitment is... Really? That's how he's going to start off? Micah! She yells out again. He lets out a sigh, knowing all too well that her hearing his explosion of annoyance will distort the dynamics of their conversation. That is, if you can call this little exchange a conversation. What do you need my toothbrush for? To brush my teeth. Disgusting, he thinks. Dropping his pen, Micah storms to the back of his apartment. No, nope, no, and no. Why? Kim asks, she now being the interrogator. Really? Micah asks, as if he needs to create a dissertation and rebuttal. But by the exasperated look she's giving him, yes, that's exactly what he must do. Holding up his index finger in the most Kim-like fashion he can, he begins, one, gross. And, Kim says, rolling her hand for him to continue, And two, no. What? Kim states, throwing her hands in the air. What the hell kind of argument is that? None of those are reasons. How is it gross? How is it not? We've kissed, you know. Your mouth has touched my mouth. Your tongue, my tongue. That and your mouth has been many other places on my body that... Kim starts, but before she can finish, Mike is rolling his eyes and moving back to the couch. It doesn't need to make sense. He just ends up yelling out. You're going to be a great father, she shouts back. It's supposed to be a jab, but butterflies flutter in her stomach at the thought. If you ever propose, she mumbles, the afterthought quickly incinerating the infatuated little insect's mid-flight. I heard that. Good, she mumbles again, placing a strip of toothpaste on her finger. As she shoves it in her mouth, she emphatically stomps her foot. Good, she repeats. Meeting you. I immediately knew that we'd be spending the rest of our lives together. Better. It's on the right track, but it's still still missing something. You know what? Kim begins, storming into the kitchen, foaming at the mouth. Completely unaware, Micah thought she was still fuming in the bathroom, but as she walks in, he fumbles the pen in his hand, hastily closing the notebook as if he was looking at old-school magazine porn. 
What are you doing? Kim playfully asks. Nothing, he says, knowing full well that this holds as much water as his toothbrush argument. Rather than asking a second time, Kim leaps forward, landing on top of Micah before frantically and futilely reaching for the secret notebook. Micah sees it coming a mile away, and rather than trying to yank it out of reach, he just throws his body in her way, cashing the notebook in the couch. They fight for a bit, but quickly the combat turns into a tickling match. Cheesy? Maybe. But when you're in love, even the corniest things have a sentimental charm. In less than 10 seconds, Micah has Kim pinned on the floor, exposed for a relentless volley of tickles, with the only goal being a deep, roaring belly laugh. Stop! 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 Stop it! Nope, Micah states, continuing the merciless assault. I'm going to pee. Stop. Taking this as a legitimate threat, Micah ceases, letting Kim catch her breath. It takes a few deep inhales, but on the third, she kisses him with everything her freshly brushed teeth can offer. She has an ulterior motive, though. Even while seeming to be living in the passionate moment, she begins to maneuver her hand towards Micah's hidden notebook. Nope, he simply says before stopping her hand, returning to the kiss. What's the big deal? She asks, breaking away still fruitlessly attempting to attain Micah's secret stash between the cushions of the couch. We're not talking about this. Says who? Kim coolly asks, knowing that her next move will get him to laugh, lowering his guard. We're already living together. Appalled, he forces a chuckle. Exactly what Kim anticipated. <laughs> One night does not count as living together. Again, even as Micah's eyes roll back, giving her the opening she aimed for, Micah's too damn fast. Putting all his weight on her as he gets up, it's enough of a stunning effect to let him grab the notebook and throw it on top of the entertainment center where he knows for a fact she won't be able to reach it. In utter denial at what Micah just did, Kim expresses her disappointment in the most aggressive fashion she can as she flops over onto her face. That was rude, she mumbles, her words of malcontent spoken directly into the carpet. You started it, he says with a shrug and moving towards the kitchen opens his pantry. You want anything to eat? With his eyes doing a shakedown of the pantry, Micah can't help but notice the sudden, loud silence. Fearing the worst, he jerks his focus from food to the notebook. But sure enough, Kim isn't on a chair attempting to nab it, but rather is still lying face down. Deciphering the situation, Micah notices her discomfort in the sole gesture of her wringing out that invisible towel. You okay? He asks, knowing that she isn't. Shaking her head, the imaginary towel continues to be throttled as her body jerks, and as she gasps, tears making their way out from behind her closed eyes. Shit, Micah whispers before rushing over, practically sliding in the second as he comes next to her, scooping her head into his arms in the swiftest but gentlest of movements. What's wrong? Again, she shakes her head. It won't do any good to pry further, so Micah simply wipes and pats her tears away. Who could imagine that their playful scuffle would upset her this bad? There must be something he's not seeing. What, though? What could be this upsetting? Not even her lacking the fiancé status pulls out this frustration and discomfort. As Kim continues to breathe, concentrating on each breath, the tightening, wringing of her hands grows. Do you... do you think... She begins, but immediately is riled back up at the mere thought, twisting her grip before loosening it as another hail of tears floods her eyes. Hey, at a loss for words, this is all Micah can manage. And without calming back down, Kim lets him know exactly what is bothering her. Do you think they'll come back? He foolishly thought that a good night's rest would ease the whole situation. But again, his naivety has led them to this juncture. No, it was, it was just political theater, Micah says. But what if they do? If they are that stupid, then I won't let anything happen to you. 
This calms her a little, but not much. Do you think I should drop the story? No, Micah states without hesitation. You'd never forgive yourself. Finally, expelling a harsh breath, she wraps her arms around Micah. With her tears wetting the crook of his shoulder, Micah finally feels her heartbeat slow and her breath calm. Picking her up from off the ground, he moves to the couch where he places her on his lap, lightly kissing her tears away. When Kim pulls her face from Micah's embrace, she finds comfort as she gazes into his eyes, fixating on the favorite of the two. Why aren't both of your eyes blue? <laughs> well, you see, he chuckles. There are these things called uh, genetic anomalies, and my eyes happen to be under that scientific definition, one of them being brown and the other blue. Ha-har-dee-har, Kim begrudgingly tries to pull herself away from Micah, but he won't let her. Pulling the love of his life even closer, he makes sure his kiss is soft and comforting, and as Kim's body relaxes, she returns the intimate gesture. I'm not kidding, he mumbles, his lips still tangled with hers. I will kick their asses if they show up again. Mm-hmm, Kim says, going back for another kiss. How about you start by slapping mine around a little? I'm serious, Micah says mid-kiss. I know, she mumbles, her passion growing. So am I. How big is this party supposed to be next week, by the way? Micah then asks, not entirely picking up on her hints. Pulling away and grabbing his cheeks to emphasize the situation, Kim just looks Micah in his bicolor eyes. Will you just shut up so we can, you know... Right, Micah says. My bad. New York, March 27th, 2036. With each stride, his knees hit a little bit harder, forcing him to suck it up, cranking the speed up for the final stretch. The treadmill belt whoops at a consistent rate of 9 miles per hour, a pace that in his prime, Carter could easily hold for the full 26.2 miles. But years later, his career and dedication to his country have both taken their toll. His last marathon, April 15, 2013, not only made history, but revealed his calling in life, forcing him to give up the sport for good. It taught him that there are more honorable things bodily pain and anguish can be used towards than personal accolade. The vivid smells of sweat and ash will forever brand his memories, and since that dreadful day in Boston, Carter has dedicated his life to his nation, no matter the price. As a young college graduate of political science, that moment in history shifted Carter into an early career change. And once in the CIA, the bigger picture became clear. With three beeps, the treadmill hums to a slow, cool-down pace. Matching the relaxing speed, calming his breathing, Carter glances down at his phone. Once his heart rate reaches 140 beats per minute, he takes one last heavy inhale before making the call. Stepping down and closing the door to his office, each ring heightens his level of anxiety. Anxiety that he's not felt since his first mission. He will be damned if he fails this assignment. He can't. For years, Washington has been a biased group of politicians and bureaucrats with predetermined and established agendas. With political term limits now as non-existent, the only accountability one has in office are the pockets of their benefactors. Checks, policies, and favors. Crony capitalism at its finest. Of course, Carter didn't discover any of these conspiracies until after months in the Central Intelligence Agency. But exposing fraud wasn't enough. Even his own agency was corrupted. It's pathetic. Call him a sane if you want, but Carter's never been interested in the finite nature of political power. For the American people's sake, he's found it pointless to attack the corruption head-on. Instead, he and a small group began compiling a new tactic. The Minutemen Division is going to turn everything around. From the legal gaps in the system to targeted collusions and political scams, the division will achieve what Carter was originally trying to accomplish with his service in the CIA. The rules of war have changed, and Carter must change with them. 
even if that means going against orthodoxy and governmental doctrine. With one final ring, Carter gets the voicemail. Irritated, he punches end on the screen, tossing his phone on the desk where its protective case bursts open. Pacing back and forth in his office, he begins going through every planned contingency. To avoid any leaks in the process, his contact was supposed to tell him the when and where, but now it seems that, that it's not going to happen that way. Out of all the assignments that have problems, it's the one with the most important potential asset. The target's in Boston, but where? Before Carter hyperventilates and makes an irrational decision, his phone buzzes and he quickly answers. Yes? But nobody responds. Confused, Carter looks at his phone only to see a small notification. Clicking on it, Carter reads, Arnold, Aboretum, Boston, 2230, three agents. Not needing any more information, Carter quickly changes, grabs his gun, holsters it, and leaves to retrieve the division's most valuable agent. Boston. It doesn't matter if you're a college dropout or a prestigious law student on scholarship. Much like the illegal underground fights, parties are an outlet. Not from the finals or anal professors, but from the never-ending economic depression, censored media, and political propaganda and misinformation being rammed down everyone's throats. Anybody and everybody attends these events, regardless of group, party, or clique. There are time for those in the present to live independently from the shady past and hopeless future. Partying is the only common ground people have these days. Ever since the last presidential election, people stopped caring. Persistent frauds tend to do that. Protect them from this, create equity for that. All of it turned from a good idea into a not-so-good one. But by the time the realization of lost personal freedoms and democratic components was made by the collective, the very republic was out from under everyone's feet. Some can argue, and still do, that good came out of it. But that's only because no one can truly admit that they're manipulated into being a useful idiot. Being equally shat on is technically still equity. Are you ready yet? Kim asks for the fourth time. I wasn't ready 30 seconds ago, and I'm not ready now. If we don't hurry, we're going to miss everything, Kim dramatically says. If Mike had just got his ass out here, he would see why Kim is being so adamant. In contrast, if she had a little patience herself, then Micah could finish up the final touches for the perfect evening. Not only does he know she's been looking forward to this little masquerade shindig, but it's their one-year anniversary. Kimberly, you are everything I need that I didn't know I wanted, and you're everything I want but didn't know I needed. Stuffing the ring into his left vest pocket one year ago this day, Micah spilled Sprite all down her shirt. There really is no better time than tonight. Casually, he smooths out his pinstripe suit, fits his mask to his face, and pats the ring in his vest one last time for luck before stepping out to see his fiancée-to-be. How do I? He begins, but is immediately stunned by her beauty. Her dress is perfect. Micah begged her to let him see it, but she refused, and he's glad she did. Hugging her every curve, Micah wants to throw the whole night out and take the gown right off. You sure you want to go to this party? He asks. We could just skip to the end of the night. You look devilishly handsome yourself, and I want you. I really do, Kim says, his offer becoming awfully tempting. But delayed gratification. Fine. Shall we get going? He asks, and as Kim places her masquerade mask on, she reaches for his arm and hands him the pièce de résistance. You're cane, sir, she says, donning an English accent. Taking it in hand, Micah can't help but admire the fine custom work Kit had done on this antique. The new stain and polish have brought life back into every detail of the engraved redwood. And as he wraps his fingers around the hilt, despite the age of the item, it's like it was made for Micah Rouge. It's beautiful. Thank you. 
and you're welcome. Kim states as the infatuated couple steps out into the cool spring night. So where's this party? Just on the other side of the park. She smiles, skipping forward. Hold up, Micah says, reining in her enthusiasm. Can we go around? Why? It's just right there, Kim says, pointing to a house a quarter of a mile away on the other side of the darkened park. The music can be heard and the flashing lights seen. So what's the big deal? Having an uneasy feeling is a difficult argument to win when you're the tough guy. I just don't want to walk through the park. Kim louts out a guttural laugh. <laughs> Come on. You scared or something? I thought you could kick anyone's ass. Kim's confidence in Micah flatters him. And yes, he has a comical self-confidence, but he is also hyper-aware of his inferiorities. Briskly, Kim is the deciding vote, and as the couple make their way through the park arm in arm, Kim casually dreams of the night's events while Micah cautiously analyzes every dark corner. However, a portion of the park goes unnoticed by Micah, and from the shade of one of the moonlit trees, a voice interrupts the couple's stride. Your time is up. They're back, Kim whispers, her panic stopping the couple abruptly. Have you made your decision? One hooded figure asks, stepping from the shadows of their flank. Does it matter? Micah asks. It does, the figure immediately states. Times have changed, and a new united government will reign. I was right. The children of the Ordian Reich are real, Kim whispers. Yes, Kim, we are, the hooded figure on their right says. However, our fate will be determined by us, not your deceit. What is your decision? The hooded figure directly in front then asks. She'll keep her mouth shut, Micah quickly states. She won't. He won't let her, but lies to get out of the situation. It's clear that these guys aren't messing around, and now is not the time to negotiate. So she shall. The middle figure is the first to advance. Swiftly, the other two follow, and all three pull out thick, long knives. Run! Micah yells, pushing Kim and swinging his cane at the closest attacker, cracking him in the jaw. Kicking the one on his left square in the chest, Micah knocks him back and tries to reposition himself to face all three. Swinging at the nearest foe as he pivots, Micah narrowly misses as the hooded figure ducks under and bolts towards Kim. I said run! Micah repeats before being taken to the ground. Petrified by fear, Kim attempts to flee but is stopped short as she's tackled to the ground, her elbows and knees scraping the asphalt upon impact. Her scream of pain goes unheard by those at the party and only fuels the hooded figure's desire to silence her voice forever. He lunges a stab at her, but it falls short due to a wild, direct hit in the throat from Kim. Dropping the knife, he is then immediately kneed between the legs before Kim kicks off her heels to run for a second time. Micah, doing everything he can to get to her, is constantly thwarted by the two other hooded figures. Using his cane as best he can to defend himself against their blades, Micah is slashed once across the chest, his tie cut in two, and as the bottom half of his tie falls, Micah is then sliced across his thigh. One of them eagerly goes for the kill, but as he moves closer, it's a fatal mistake. Close is where Micah is the most comfortable. Easily, Micah dodges the stab and grabbing the arm of his attacker, breaks it with ease. Kim begins running, but she is dropped instantly back onto the pavement as a knife cuts into her heel. She cries out, but Micah is the only concerned audience to her agony as the party on the fringe of the park doesn't skip a beat. Kim! Micah calls out, smashing his cane into the throat of one of the hooded figures. There's an audible pop as the assailant permanently drops to the ground. Micah lunges towards Kim, but is hurled backwards and away from his girlfriend. Grabbing her bleeding heel, Kim painfully discovers that she can no longer stand. Doing the next best thing, she crawls towards the party on the edge of the park. But getting to his feet, her attacker stops Kim with a stab in the back of her leg. Kim opens her mouth to let out another deafening scream, but it too is cut short as the killer squeezes her airway shut. Slowly, 
He pulls the knife from her leg, twisting as he does, and upon seeing tears from Kin's eyes gently rolling down from behind her mask, the hooded figure relishes in this infamous moment. It's a shame your boyfriend couldn't save you, he says, his blade rising in the air. Micah breaks his final opponent's leg, then cracks his cane across the guy's temporal lobe before turning too late to Kim's aid. The murderer's knife is deep in her stomach, angled up towards her heart, and Kim, gasping for air, feels the blade violently pulled from her body. No! Micah sprints forward, smashing his cane right into the back of his enemy's skull, killing him instantly. Dropping his cane, he falls next to Kim, frantic and afraid. No, 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 Kim! Pulling his masquerade mask off, Micah's eyes are drawn towards Kim's hands, grasping her invisible towel. As she grips the air for a sense of relief, Micah knows that this time there's nothing he can do to alleviate her pain. With his hands on hers, Rain begins wetting the back of his hand. Micah, it hurts so bad, she says, her tears mixing with the sky's showers. Please, no, Micah prays. Micah, Kim then says, quieter than before. Make it stop. It, it hurts. As she continues to wring her hands together, Micah removes the invisible towel, placing his hand into Kim's, and taking off her mask, Micah drops it into the puddle of blood and water. Help! Somebody help! He shouts, but no one hears his plea. The party is raging, and less than a hundred feet away, someone's life is ending. Turning his attention back to his love, he begs her to stay. Don't close your eyes, Kim. Kim? Her grasp on his hand becomes weaker every moment, and just as suddenly as the pain came, it goes, giving Kim a sense of peace in her final moments. Happy one year, Micah, she says with a delicate smile. Seeing the fading light in her eyes, Micah stifles a cry. Ah, I... Here, here. Frantically, Micah searches his pocket for the ring. Pulling it from his vest pocket, he shows her the band, the same one she picked months ago in a casual shopping trip one weekend. I, I didn't forget. I love you, Micah. Kim again smiles. Her hidden pain just beneath the surface quickly turns to sorrow as the life she envisioned quickly begins to fade. I love you too, Kim. Stay, stay with me, love. The rain falls faster and becomes heavier by the second, but as Micah feels the slack in her grip, he slides the ring under her finger. Bye, Micah, are Kim's final words to her love before her eyes close one last time. Micah tries to say the word goodbye, but he can only mouth it as he drops Kim's hand from his fingertips into the puddle of blood. With his world being forever changed, Micah gasps for air. Somebody help! He shouts, his gaze catching sight of one lone figure staring back at him from the edge of the park. Standing, Micah's foot hits something that clinks and tumbles across the wet pavement, and glancing down at the object, he finds a small metal skeleton key. Looking back up to the park's boundary, Mike finds that the lone man has vanished. Falling back to his knees, Micah picks up and pockets the key before taking Kim's hand back in his. Sliding the engagement ring off, he holds Kim in his arms, stroking her cheek with his thumb. And with ease, he stands, picking up her lifeless body in his arms. Exiting the park, a lady sees Micah and Kim, convincing the young man to let her drive the two of them to the hospital. Pulling up to the emergency room, Micah knows there is nothing any doctor can do for her. But where else is he supposed to go? The staff's penetrating and brutally honest questions blend in with the sounds of the hospital chaos. And blatantly, Micah ignores them. Insulted, confused, and heartbroken, he walks off and sits to the side, the clean tile underneath him 
puddling with blood, mud, and water dripping from off his pinstripe suit. Awaiting the police, Micah twirls the skeleton key in his hand where it helps him pass the time and fuel a newborn rage, one that all his years in the service couldn't create. This loss was not in a foreign country, fighting some politician's war. Rather, it was in his own backyard and in a fight Kim chose. He killed them, yes, but they were just insurgents, mere peons. Kim knew something that their general didn't want exposed, and because of that, she's dead. So many things could be brought to the hypothetical table, but Micah doesn't focus on any of it. He's heard his mother bring situations to that very table many, many times after his dad left, and it did nothing. Her queries didn't bring his dad back home, and sitting down where his mother once sat won't bring Kim back either. The only thing he can do is ignore the table, ignore it, or flip it over. <clears throat> Mr. Rouge? A detective steps into the room and over the puddles of red rainwater. My name is Detective York. I was wondering if I could have a few minutes of your time. Do I have a choice? Micah says, standing to meet the detective's eyes. This way, please, York says. Guiding Micah to a chair in an empty hospital room, the detective takes the seat across from him. I know you don't want to discuss what happened, but we need to. You mean relive the nightmare I just went through? Micah asks, grabbing his face and holding back the tears, while it's still fresh. Arnold Arboretum, is that the park you were cutting through? York asks. Yeah, Micah nods. And the lady that picked you and came up, uh, what? York begins to ask, but his question is cut short by another police officer walking into the room. Detective, a moment. You want some coffee or something, Mr. Rouge? York asks as he stands. Micah doesn't say anything giving the detective a silent answer before he leaves. He isn't alone for long before another man silently walks into the room, locking the door behind himself. Wearing a gray suit, soaked from head to toe, this is no cop, but makes himself at home anyway as he sits down in front of Micah. About to give him the same respect he did the detective, when Micah looks into the man's eyes, there's a familiar darkness. They're the eyes that have experienced the evils of battle. This is not a beat cop sitting in front of Micah, but an old soldier and one that still has some fight left inside. Holding out his hand for Micah to shake, Micah does. Hello, Micah Rouge. My name is Mr. Carter. <laughs> <laughs>